0: Welcome back to another episode of That's Neat, a podcast dedicated to whiskey, the stories surrounding whiskey, and the people we drink it with. Today is the third episode of our American Singamalt 101 series in collaboration with Wanderback Whiskey. Today, we're talking all things mash bill, and distill it. Stay tuned, pour yourself a dram, and enjoy. This episode is sponsored by Grant Stone. They are a shoe and boot company that specialize in Goodyear welt constructed boots and shoes at an affordable price. I have been wearing a pair of Grant Stones now for several months. And I got to say, they are some of my favorite boots I own. I have several boots. Um, I have a pair of Allen Edmonds. I have a pair of Aldens. But I gotta say, these Grant Stones are my new favorite. Not only are they about half the price of these competitors, but their quality control is top notch. If you wanna try a pair of Grant Stones, you can head over to their website, grantstoneshoes.com and use our coupon code, that's neat, to save some money off your first pair of shoes. So head on over to their website, grantstoneshoes.com and use our coupon code, that's neat.
1: Hi everyone, and welcome to American Single Malt 101, our third episode. Um, tonight, we will be talking about how the Mashville goes through the distillery process. Um, we are here with the folks from That's Me. Um, we're so excited to have you. Again, um, you can find them at their website or on their Instagram account. Um, and if you're watching, we'd love if you could subscribe to our channel um, and we have a great, great episode tonight, talking about the distillery process and the distilleries we work with. Um, so I'm gonna let guys take it from here. Sean, if you wanna jump into the fermentation process, we'd love to hear about it.
2: Yeah, definitely. So fermenting is a word used a lot that people always wonder, what does that actually mean? It's just like this magical process that happens with turning things into alcohol. Well, I guess when it comes to like, different whiskeys and stuff. Again, I don't, I'm not like a distiller or anything. So I don't know all this stuff like at the back of my hand, but like what I, what, from my understanding is the result of mashing the malt um, creates a sugar solution called wort, W-O-R-T. And then this sugar has to get converted during a fermentation process where you have yeast added in with that wort. And this happens in um, people might recognize those big pot stills. And they call them uh, washbacks, I believe, is the name for, for where the actual fermenting happens. Please correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. <laughs> but that's the, the kind of what I uh, gathered for, uh, through going on different tours before and also from just uh, some internet research, you know, and, and some tutorials. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a cool process. But from my understanding, it looks like the wort or the sugar has to has to cool down before the yeast can get added in. And also, you can add in different types of yeast for different types of um, fermentation, different types of chemical reactions. So essentially once the yeast is added in, that's where the fun happens. We get different uh, molecules um, happening. Uh, That's where the alcohol actually comes out of it. um, Once that actually happens. So there's some fancy formulas, which I won't even pretend to know what any of that (laughs) means. But um, essentially what happens is the the yeast now helps with I think i I think uh the carbon dioxide comes out of the molecules you get ethanol things like that alcohol comes out of it and that's just kind of the short end very rough uh summary of it but definitely I want to talk to you guys about the different types of yeast that can be used in fermentation so what what well, would, what sean, well, i would sean
3: Good overview. I uh, I hate to butt in, but um come on in. <laughs> uh, have you ever made homebrew beer?
2: I have not personally. I've had some friends. I've done it. The closest thing I've ever brewed at my own house is some hard cider, network. and where yeah. it's like see, you kind of get that frothiness that comes up, which is always fun to watch when the chemical yeah. reactions happening.
3: Do you, uh, what about you guys? Uh, have you, like- I've done a
0: little bit with uh, a friend of mine. Um, Right. I don't know how legal it was,
1: but <laughs> let's not. We, talk, this legal yeah. talk tonight. This is. <laughs>
0: yeah. about the we did make some beer uh, with yeah. some brewer's yeast. It was fun, was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was fun. The beer was disgusting, but uh, <laughs> right, it was a lot. Well, of fun. so
3: mm-hmm. what you're talking about, Sean, is mm-hmm. the, that for a while.
0: Um, is that is the making
3: of beer basically without hops, and and so. Mm-hmm. The, fir- the first step in the presence of enzymes that are present in uh, malted barley, or at least the pale malt, um, big sugars are broken down into smaller sugars. And those smaller sugar and, and and that process of breaking things down into the more usable sugars happens in water uh, that is warmer, it's hot water. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can talk about the difference. There each of the distilleries, all of the distilleries that I've, you know, work with, very with whether it's getting information or actually doing uh, distillation or fermentation distillation with them, mm-hmm. they all focus on different things. And and uh, what's what what you're all going to find out is some of the differences that come that result because of that. But even within the wort production and fermentation, there are there are big differences in what these various distillery partners focus on. So for example. Depending on what water temperature you use to uh, allow that breakdown, enzymatic mm. breakdown of sugars to smaller sugars, it makes a difference. So certain sugars will be produced in higher or lower concentrations, and um, so you can do a step stepwise, super hot, less hot type uh, work production and um and then as you said you cool it down to a degree or to a temperature where yeast won't be killed if you put yeast in super hot water it will die and mm-hmm. if you put it in too cold water it just doesn't have the energy to start doing its thing um and you me- you mentioned yeast yeast is one of these things that some people hold in an extremely high regard you know yeast is one of those Fungi that that people feel that the Lord gave us uh, because of our good deeds, and uh, I would probably tend to agree with that. I think that <laughs> yeast is this magical magical organism that takes these raw materials, these sugar material, these sugars, these smaller sugars than than you would typically find in nature, and it makes it pops out pops on the other side. Um, alcohol and other things too, like carbon dioxide and so on. That's what makes that frothy top on the top of a beer or a cider or whatever. Um, and that's quite magical. That, that, that's amazing. And depending on what yeast you use, the alcohol, the types of alcohol molecules will differ. Um, and then, you know, depending on where you, where that happens, where that fermentation process happens. So the, the size and shape of the fermentation vessels the temperature of the water or the temperature of the environment, whether they control temperature. Some of these distilleries, like if you're in Texas, like not, not last week, but typically in the summer, it can get extremely hot. And mm-hmm. if you're fermenting in a very hot environment like that, unlike the Pacific Northwest, different uh, al- alcohol molecules will come out the other end, uh, as well as other things like esters. And, mm-hmm. and esters are a very, very interesting uh, group of compounds that create a bunch of very pleasant, usually aromas and also tastes. Um, So yeah, I I, I just, I find fermentation, well, I find first the breakdown of sugars fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I also find fermentation particularly fascinating. And, um, you know, what it makes in terms of, you know, uh, uh, beer, cider, wine, then the base, liquid for us to distill into whiskey and these various other spirits is fantastic. I mean, that's amazing to have this, these things. And, uh, so I, we could go on forever, but, uh, Blake, I, sorry. Yeah. I mean, no, made
0: a- no, I was actually just enamored with what you were saying. Yeah. But- it was fascinating. Oh, <laughs> um, I, I had a question about the differences. I know a lot of modern, especially in the American single malt, um, area of things a lot of them are using a brewer's yeast now yeah and uh if you had a preference or a i maybe you could describe the difference between a brewer's and a distiller's yeast
3: I, I think the distinction i should know this but i think the definition or the distinction between the distillers and a brewer's yeast is basically the percentage of alcohol that the yeast can tolerate champagne is one of these yeasts champagne yeast will tolerate a very high um, alcohol content, because basically, as the alcohol concentration increases in a solution, all living organisms eventually die. I mean, alcohol is an antiseptic. A very high concentration of alcohol will kill most anything. That's why we use it to as an antiseptic. So, as the alcohol content increases, certain yeast varieties just don't survive. And so, I think the major distinction between a distiller's and a brewer's yeast is that a distiller's yeast can can survive in a higher concentration of alcohol. And then there are some of that. But the, the the main thing that you find with these various yeasts is the flavor profile. I mean, when you make a beer with an ale versus uh, the different ale yeasts that you could use, even starting with the same base malt, you can end up with vastly different tastes of beer. And that's not even talking about the hops influence. but. It's the same with making our base um, liquid for uh, eventual distillation. If you use uh, a brewers versus a distillers or a combination, which we've done quite frequently, a combination of the, of the two, your taste profile will change sometimes dramatically. You know, we often don't talk about the effect of yeast on the final taste profile. Many of these compounds that are produced by yeast, the various different yeasts, um, actually uh, boil off at quite a low temperature. The, the esters mm-hmm. are typically molecules that evaporate at a very low temperature mm-hmm. so many of them don't actually the, the flavors don't follow through all the way through you know, fermentation, distillation but many of them do and um, and so I don't have a preference I have a curiosity though and I really pay attention to what yeast we use at the various distilleries. One of the things that you know, I've always tried to make it easy for these good distilleries to work with us, obviously, because I really like to work with them. And if you go into a distillery or a brewery and start dictating what yeast you're gonna use, you're probably, for the diehards, the people who are really paying attention, it can get very uh, challenging for them because what typically happens, and and uh, th- this can obviously vary, but depending on the age of the brewery or the, the distillery, You will basically create a small ecosystem within that building of a yeast strain. The yeast that you're putting into all of these warts, many of them will become the dominant yeast strain in the corners of the room where you don't sweep or you don't mop or you don't get to at all the top of the room or whatever. So um it's kind of gross to think about, but if you don't know much, but it's also very nice to think about because you walk into a distillery and that smell, a lot of the smells you'll get are dependent on what they're actually doing, whether they're making wort or they're distilling or aging or whatever. Um, but also many of those aromas are from the various organisms that are living there naturally. And the yeast that they use for the fermentation are a big part of that.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, well, I've I've been on a few distillery tours and been to a few distilleries now. Um, Marcus, you probably could speak to this a little bit more, but just like walking into Westland or walking into Copperworks, you kind of just you get there. There's a Westland. smell. There's a smell, yeah. and it's distinct to that yep. specific uh, Very distillery. Very much so. And then mm-hmm. ever since then, you kind of you get that in every every dram of whiskey and i got yeah. i got that too just i mean you guys aren't necessarily distilling your whiskey in your barn you're you're aging it in your barn but even everything yeah. in in that barn like and then i come home and i have a dram of
1: patch
0: yeah. one or patch four it's just like there this, is a it's, smell it's, it's it's there it's that it's barn. so, so wonderful it's so yeah wonderful. yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: It's so wonderful. I have to tell you that every time I go to the barn and for the first time open the door, it's uh, a big part of it is that first smell. And you never want to walk in there and get a foul smell. That would be horrible. And I never have yet. I hope I never do. Um, We're not going to go into this tonight, but the environment that those barrels sit in is very important. And so one of the things that I really stress for us is making sure that there are no bad odors anywhere. So cleaning products or or foul garbage things not clean or anything is mm-hmm. super important. But uh, you're right, that, that and, and typically, I'm a little biased, but the smell, when you walk into a distillery, there are not many bad ones. There are a lot of really, really nice ones. <laughs> and they're <laughs> yeah. also different too, which is
2: part totally. of the thing.
4: Yeah totally well and, and to your point on the smells it, it's you like you said it's important you know most people are familiar with their fridge right if they leave something open in their yeah. fridge right you can wind up absorbing you know if you leave some yeah, dish totally. or something like that you wind up absorbing onions or fish or something like that mm. into it and totally changes the flavor totally changes everything it's the same with whiskey right Barrel. Yeah.
3: So, and also the ice that you put in your whiskey. You know, yeah. you had to be careful what that ice sat in or where that ice sat because, like you say, it absorbs the smell. So, if you have some
2: whatever fish or
3: thing, you yeah. don't want to have that going in your whiskey.
2: You right. you up up a night Does huh? it keep you up at night, Phil? Wondering, it's like, oh, I hope, the, I hope our uh, dist- <laughs> distillation and our farm doesn't have anything weird coming in to like, ruin the bottles and all. I bet that's like probably it's, in your mind all the time
3: <laughs> it is it is yeah. but it also makes a difference for the stuff we store in there we don't yeah. put things that have a bad we don't put cleaning products we don't we don't put unchanged garbage bins it sounds kind of overly i don't know crazy maybe but it's important
2: whiskey yeah. sacred
0: yeah yeah it is you know oh, if it, you it's, really it's, smell you might have a hard time getting a tour Just <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah you gotta you gotta watch you gotta watch the yeah. be yeah
1: yeah definitely <laughs> i mean that kind of
0: <laughs> leads us into the distilling process there and mm-hmm. everything about that and maybe we could jump into what we do with the fermentation and the wart after it, uh, when you guys deliver it to the distilleries marcus you want to talk about that a little bit
4: yeah so it kind of um you know there is so much um there's so much time and effort that goes into producing a whiskey from, you know, all the way from um, Choosing which grains you're going to use up through fermentation, of course, which can take multiple days anywhere from three to four to um, Westland had a whiskey that they made out of a sourdough starter that took them two weeks <laughs> to ferment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Westward. Westward, no, Westward, right? Yeah, Westland Westward. Yeah. Yeah um, So it can take a very long time for for fermentation. And so when you get to distillation, um, there's a lot of effort that's already gone into it. And so you kind of want to, you know, you want to make sure you know what's going on. You want to make sure you you get this decision right too. Um, and there are some key decisions at this step. Um, for the actual equipment itself, there's a couple different types that you can use. You can use a, a pot still, uh, you could use a column still, or you could use a hybrid still, which is just kind of a combination of the two. Um, we could talk for hours and days and weeks about the different types of, of stills and the different pros and cons and you know why uh, you would use one for certain flavors and you use one for a different flavor we don't have time for that <laughs> um, we're going to stick with pot still um, Phil correct me if I'm wrong That that's what you guys like to use as pot stills for, for everything um, yeah. pot still is the sort of most it's the most traditional uh, still that's that's uh, used today, um, in certain places, it's actually required by law to use a pot still. If you're making um, Irish malt or, or Scottish malt whiskey, it's actually required by law to use a pot still. And same with cognac. If you're, ma- if you're making cognac, it's actually required as well. Mm-hmm. So um, it's generally made out of copper. And part of that has to do with the way that copper reacts with the uh, chemicals that are in um, the alcohol itself it will change the flavor of uh, your end product, the actual material of the pot itself. Um, We had a graphic that popped up on the screen. If we could bring that up actually for just a second. Um, When you're looking at a pot still, you can find a couple different um, major designs, but this one that's on the the screen is sort of the the most common. You have this sort of big bulbous bottom, which is the actual, it's the actual pot itself, right? That's where your fermentation, that's where your fermented uh, mash is going into. That's where the actual like boiling happens, right? Um, and moving up a little bit, you have, um, some pot stills will just sort of have a big taper. Um, a lot of them though, will have a sort of secondary bulbous sort of, uh, another bowl on the top. And that acts as your sort of first step condensing, uh, condenser, right, where um, this vaporized liquid will um, condense the sides of it and start dripping back down. As it does that, the more it does that, um, it will, um, uh, again, it'll slightly change the you know outcome of what you have the more it condenses. And so uh, vaporizes, condenses, and goes, or vaporizes and goes up, and goes up the neck into the line arm which is uh, a tube that can connects the, um, the still with the condenser. Um, goes up through the line arm, goes into the condenser. And once it has um, condensed into a liquid again, and this is a really important bit. Now um, you have a decision to make. Now you have a really important decision to make of the cuts, right, of what it is that you're actually going out of this liquid. Um, generally, if you go on a distillery or you talk to a distiller or something like that, a lot of times they'll tell you there are, there are three main cuts. There's head cuts, there's heart cuts, and there's cuts. And without getting too technical, of course, um, there are different flavors and different chemicals that boil at different temperatures come off at different temperatures and so come off at different times in the distillation itself and so you end up with different flavors and the head cuts you wind up with um, really sort of sterile reminds you of sort of rubbing alcohol Um, it's not a flavor that you really want and it does actually have some harmful chemicals in there so you generally will kind of push that off to the side you don't want to keep those and Parts are the main ones. The sort of a lot of the sweetness, a lot of the uh, the main characteristics that is the actual liquid that you're going to put into a barrel. That's what you want. as those hard cuts, um, and the last final things the tail the tails. Um, you wind up with things like um, a wet dog smell or a wet cardboard smell. Um, it's very specific. Um, scents and very specific chemicals that are coming out towards the end that sometimes you do you do want um, if you're making a peated whiskey sometimes you cut a little bit into the tails because there are certain flavors that come on a little bit later in the distillation um, that are that are that are in there but usually there's stuff there that you want to you want pull out of it so um, why don't we actually Phil I've got a question for you that's related to these um, when you're going to a distiller, right, and you're saying, you know, we've got um, we've got our ferment we've got our fermentation, we want it distilled, we want, you know, this product. Um, where are you going with that? What are you looking for? Are you looking for a specific thing or are you leaving it open to them to be like, hey, give us the best
3: thing <laughs> that we can get? Well, I mean, typically we've come to the people that we feel are making good spirits, good single malt to begin with, you know. So we know they have a, they have a knowledge and a track record. That's, you know, the ones we work with has been amazing. Um, some of them will, most of them will do the fermentation as well as the distillation <clears throat> and some, some we will breweries and, and then, uh, then distilleries separately. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we're typically, we're typically, um, we're, we're partnering with people who have the equipment and track record and knowledge that, that fits with what we're trying to do. Um, I, I, you know, I feel like we should um, because of the volume of spirits that come off a column still, I think we should just touch on it, touch on it briefly, especially, you know, right now with alcohol sales high, a lot of what's being sold comes off a column still. So I think it's, Mm kind of nice to get an overview of what that is, what that does and, and what the product that comes out the other end is and, and why it can be good or not so good for certain things or people. A uh, column still, So, you know, a, a, a pot still is an old technology that's been around for, uh, you know, 2000 years or so, um, and in various iterations, depending on the materials that were available to make these things. Um, column stills or coffee stills are more modern. I I mean, they're still very old. I can't remember when coffee actually invented it, but it's over a hundred years ago. It's it's basically where you take, you have a column that has a number of spouts off of it. Let's say you pour the wash in the bottom and you blow steam up the, or sorry, you wash up from the top and steam from the bottom. So a heat source from the bottom and coming off at various levels will be your, your, uh, your various, uh, fractionated, um, um, distillation. So at, at, at certain places, the, the, the first things that, uh, uh, evaporate will come off these things that you're talking about the heads and the, uh, the acetone, some of these, uh, some of these dangerous compounds in the middle of the, of the, the various cuts, you will be able to pull off hearts. Uh, oh, there we go. 1830. There it is. And uh, and then at uh, and then at various higher levels, um, you will pull off the uh, more uh, the fusel oils, the things that take a much higher temperature to to sorry at the lower levels, the higher temperature to evaporate. Um, and so it's a very controllable, clean. The cuts are super clean and extremely controllable, and that can be a good thing if you're making a. Uh, bourbon or rye, for example, um, you can make some fantastic spirits that way. But we, we, uh, single malt is made with pot stills, and I guess as an overview, you know, we didn't talk. I don't know how much I can. I we talked about this earlier, but I don't want to. I don't want to bore people with the science of some of the more deeper science. But typically, what will happen in a distillery is you'll do a stripping run, where you'll, where you'll take your fermented. Uh, uh, uh lick your beer basically minus hops and you'll put it in a stripping still a very high volume still and you'll run it through very quickly and you'll add up not quickly i mean over a period of hours and you will basically you will basically evaporate it down to a lower alcohol content and you'll take what came off early And that's your, your early stripping run. And that's what you'll put in your spirit still. And then you'll run that the second time. Sometimes it will even be done the third time. We might touch on that, but you'll run that the second time in your spirit still. And it's that spirit still spirits run where then you'll really focus on those cuts. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll make a very, you'll look very, you'll, you'll nose initially as things come across. It's, it's really, it's really obvious the details are pretty obvious. You know, you've got a lot of acetone, some, like you mentioned, uh, med- some medicinal, but very uh, thin. Uh, they have a very unique odor. You'll also look very closely at the alcohol content, there will be a there will be a step the alcohol content of what's coming across. It doesn't it's not like a, a straight line, there are drops that happen and, and, and we will look or the distillery you know they do things are done different again this is a really nice thing to talk about and different distilleries will focus on different things so certain distilleries it'll all be about the nose so it'll be like okay we're on the spirits run again we're talking about okay we're still in the 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 uh um the first we haven't made our first cut yet still a lot of acetone 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 okay okay we're into the nice now we're into the sweet stuff okay let's start make let's start collecting now we're starting to collect our hearts and we'll go we'll keep going and like you said marcus we'll talk as you start getting into those um less favorable odors where you've got some heavy concentration of fusel oils people will make cuts at different places depending on Typically the way that I think about it is if you want to make a really nice clean cut where you're eliminating a lot of spirit and you're making a really tight spirit uh, hearts cut and and not going too far into the tails that's a whiskey that would probably take less time to mature. You have less you have less you know ultimately what you're trying to do with aging is get rid of the bad things and keep a lot of the good things and and good things change and change in concentration and there are also new good things that are produced from the barrel and also from oxidation you've got but, some less um, rough edges to sand right? off you've got yeah.
4: less rough edges to sand off
3: yes and so like you mentioned you know um distilleries like distilleries that are planning on aging for eight ten plus years like many of the scotches they will go deep into those fusel oils like you'll get some really oily or it's not it's actually it's actually oily some of it but it's very long chain uh uh, uh molecules that are very flavorful but not initially not the best flavor like you yeah. said some of these wet cardboard saw you know wet dog type things i mean these are things that typically people would not want to have in their whiskey um but if you stick it in a barrel for eight, 10, 20 years, it can be fantastic, especially if, you know, if you have some of those phenol compounds from the, from the peated malt. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it, it depends on what you're trying to make, you know? And, and so we're, um, we're a non peated whiskey. We are looking to release a, a product that is aged mature at three to four years plus plus. So we're not going deep into those fusel oils. We don't want to. Um, and then, and then, and then we can talk, this is not a talk about maturation, but making those cuts, determining where those cuts should be is there's this, there's a plan before you start. It's not just like, okay, we're into the good stuff We're into the good stuff. Now we're the bad stuff. You have a discussion and a plan about that before you even start to do your spirits run. And, uh, And it matters because if you make those cuts poorly, it may take more than four or five years to have a mature whiskey. Um, Or also you may throw away a lot of really nice flavors, which is also a shame, you know? So Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense, but
0: yeah, no, that makes total sense. I was just kind of thinking back to column versus first pot still. And if, I, uh, you as a um, American single malt distiller or, or producer, you definitely, you prefer the pot still, but could you maybe touch on a little bit about like what the outcome or the differences yeah. between a column and a pot still?
3: Yeah, it's a very good question. You know, I, I love a lot of spirits. I love a good rye. I love a good bourbon. And, um, what i like about those columns still produced spirits is um a a, a, um it's for me i I, thin is not the right term to use and and uh you know clean is not the right term to use either but you have a flavor so when you have a pot still as opposed to a a column still Mm -hmm. you know you talked about marcus initially where. You, know, you have these. You have this bulbous thing that, where you have a bunch of liquid, and you heat it up. You typically have a steam jacket that heats it up. Things start to bubble and evaporate, and then you have you have um, you know uh, sides of that pot still where things will hit, and, and the surface of that is cooler. It's typically made of copper to get rid of some of the sulfur compounds. But think, you know, uh, uh, liquid will hit the surface of that. And some of it will will condense right away, and then others of it will make it up into the um, the more enlarged pear-shaped portion of ver- there can be various shapes and sizes. And again, you'll get some evaporation and drip back the line arm. You know that the angle of the line arm, the length of the line arm, whether it's angled up or down, that'll make a huge difference because if it's angled up and you, know, you have evaporate going up into that line arm, and it it can conde- it can condense anyway up that line arm, and then it drips all the way back down again. And so, what you're ha- what you're having happen there, what I think about is happening there is, you have so many different molecules with different evaporation temperatures that are making their way making their way up the various stages of that pot still and up into the line arm before they're anywhere close to the condenser. And some of them inch their way all the way through and make it all the way through. And others, most of them have such a back and forth route. And what I think about happens there, which is a good thing is that you have so many more varieties of molecules and tastes making its way to the condenser. Um, Whereas when you take a a, a column still, a a, a coffee, you know, a, a column still where you've got these various places to pull off liquid, condense, uh, condense it. It's actually pulled off as vapor and then it condenses. Um, it's much more clean and controlled. And, um, you know, there, there, there's no back and there's very little back and forth. There's no, there's no back and forth. And so when we talk about making cuts on a pot still, it's somewhat of an exact science, but not that much really, especially when you compare it to a column still. And mm-hmm. that can be a good thing for some things like, you know, there are some bourbons and ryes made in column stills that fan- are fantastic. I, you know, I also particularly like them for making cocktails, you know, they're cause you know that you've got, you know, what's there and it's, you know, if you add that rye to your Manhattan, it's pretty, you're pretty clear on what you're going to what's going to come out the other end. If you add, you know, a certain, whatever, sweet. Yeah. Would you say and, that
0: it's, uh, kind of like a cons consistency that you can get? It's out a, of consi-
3: a, it's a, I think what I would, the way I would describe it is a, a breadth of tastes, mm-hmm. you take a big single malt, like hopefully ours or any single, any well-made single malt, oh, the yeah. breadth of tastes. That's why we talk about, you know, we talk about these tastes that you, or these smells this, I, I, you know. We we made we've probably talked about this, but the, the 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 number the number of things you can smell are vastly greater than the number of things you can taste. But so when you when you start to pay attention to the various things you can smell, the breadth of those various things in a single malt is much made in a pot still. I think personally, and this is a personal opinion, but I think it can be probably borne out in in uh, if you did uh, gas chromatography or whatever. But it, mm-hmm. it, you have a much broader uh, array of tastes to perceive in a in a single malt than you do with a column made spirit uh, overall, um,
0: and that's good
3: for some okay. people. For
0: me, definitely, but, you know, not for everybody. I guess I think they both definitely have their benefits. Uh, sure, for, depending on what you're trying to make. Um, but I mean, that kind of leads me into some questions I I had for you um, and the different distilleries that we're working with and um the philosophies and different stills that they might have and the flavor outcome um maybe you could talk a little bit about each one um and how their 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 stills and their philosophies and maybe the the yeast that they use if it's different each time um kind of impacts that flavor maybe start with the evergreen with westland and
3: Yeah. So I, you know, I don't think it would be helpful because to be quite honest with you, um, all of these distilleries, including Westland, they are run by people who pay attention to the important things, but they do pay attention to different things. Mm -hmm. Um, they're all aware of the basic concepts that need to go into making a good whiskey, but some of them. (laughs) Wow, that was a while ago.
1: Um,
3: (laughs) Some of them pay attention to different things. So uh, I know that Westland, Matt Hoffman pays attention to every step, but he's he was when I was working with him years ago, he was, um, you know, temperature of uh, of the initial uh, uh, enzymatic uh, sugar breakdown was the temperatures of the various steps was important. The um the the fermentation took place in a in the northwest and so it was at a temperature that was well what the pacific northwest would be and uh yeast was definitely important and and uh ale yeasts and brewer and distillery yeast were used um the distillation is done in a gorgeous you know stripping and then a spirit still made in the U S um, there are plates on those stills. So I guess you could call it a hybrid, but it's, it's a pot still. Um, and, uh, the water was from the Northwest and, and, and then you have places that we've worked with in Texas where, um, they had to be more conscious of in the fermentation about temperature. They, they live in a climate in the summer, at least that's very hot and, um, I don't know if they have the picture of this, but they have one of the most fantastic spirits still you'll ever see. It looked like a freaking just like Charlie chocolate factory type stuff. (laughs) The the line arm is so long that it's wrapped around like a corkscrew over the top. And it's fantastic Mm -hmm. to look at. It looks gorgeous. And uh, so obviously you're going to get a ton. You know, Marcus, we talked about this earlier you're going to get a ton of reflux and back and forth there, you know, cause what a distance mm-hmm. this, this little uh, alcohol molecule has to travel all the way up this corkscrew and, uh, the lucky ones that make it through are, are they've gone quite a journey and, and, uh, um, uh, yeah. So the, and and then again, they have a similar, I, you know, their yeast is the choice is similar to, to, uh, it's not the same, but it's similar in terms of philosophy to Westland and yeah. um and then uh, our uh, virginia we have a they are a really amazing like the facility there is beautiful it's uh, oh yeah that's uh, really classic uh, wow. you see a lot of scotch uh influence in their equipment and their processes and uh fantastic they really pay attention. they're nosing they really pay attention to uh alcohol uh, content concentration drops and uh, um and did I say Virginia? I did say Virginia, didn't I? Um, and, uh, so yeah, it's, you know, I, I won't go into the minutia of the discussions we've had with these, but, uh, it's so wonderful. The, the breadth of the things that these guys pay attention to and what we discuss when we're talking about our, our, our strategy for making the whiskey that we're wanting to make. And, and then the wonderful equipment that they have to, to use. It's, uh, it's really amazing. I, I'm, I'm hoping that we will be able to continue working with these guys and gals and, and, uh, um, and they all bring a different thing to the table. They all pay attention. They pay attention to the basics and to the, uh, yeah, McCarthy's another one. <clears throat> these guys have, um, uh, a facility very close to ours and, and, um, we have an amazing, you know, brewery uh, tradition in the in the Hood River area and uh, um what a dork I look like god almighty it's just crazy. <laughs>
0: oh, you look good. That's
2: right. It's a nice place to be.
3: Those guys yeah they use these these stills that they've been using these smaller stills. They have a series of them and and Joe, these guys—they know how to work. Work them like magic. It's it, watching them work them and pu- pull the cuts off of each of them is is fantastic. It's uh, it's really fun. And and so yeah, I, I mean I know that's broad strokes. I haven't gone into the big details of all the things, but uh, suffice oh, it to it's say still that early process. So it's yeah, yeah. It's, they, they pay attention to the important basic concepts of making a good whiskey, but then they each focus on different things that are wonderful and, and matter and, mm-hmm. and make a difference and uh, and so uh, what's going to be fun is to see these things bear out in the final product for what we release and how we can then talk and compare and, and and you know do those sorts of things with people
0: yeah I'm I'm super excited for all those collaborations there are yeah it's fun some of my favorite distilleries um, Westland Balcones, Virginia McCarthy's especially McCarthy's they've been close Love to my them. heart for <laughs> a awesome long there. time
1: i yeah. know right yeah but, uh
0: maybe we could you know this is a good wrapping up point i think uh maybe we could bring back um maggie and we could wrap it up and uh call it good this was this was great this was very informative i yeah. really liked this session tonight it was really i good.
2: learned so much this is the type <laughs> of classes i wish i was taking <laughs> like,
0: just doing a um,
2: whiskey uh, Distilling 101 is the class I would definitely take at college if it existed. Uh, I know, right. Sure does yeah. oh, it does somewhere.
1: Oh, it does. Time <laughs> really does there. fly when you're having fun. I can't believe that was a full 40 minutes, a very full mm-hmm. cool 40 minutes. What an awesome, informative session. Um, I want to thank you all for coming on and joining us again. Um, it's been really great. We've all learned a lot. Um, Again, thank you. That's neat for joining us. You guys can be found anywhere. You can stream podcasts. Great Mm -hmm. website. Um, We appreciate it. If everyone can subscribe to our YouTube page, Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with our final ASM 101 talking about barrel aging. Um, And we hope everyone who's on can join us for that as well. Uh, So thanks so much, everyone. And I hope you have a great night. Cheers. Bye. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you.